Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. to Transporter Lock, episode number 53, for Picard, season one, episode six, The Impossible Box. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer, Ken Gagney. And I am Captain Sabriel Maston. Welcome back. Hello, Sabriel, and Hi. welcome to Massachusetts. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, thank you for helping me park the car over in the lot. <laughs> oh, how long have you been practicing that? That is far too accurate. About seven seconds. So we just got back from PAX East in Boston, the 11th annual, my 11th, and your 7th? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had an amazing time, and that is also why we are late with the review of The Impossible Box, which we watched in person together in Boston with former guest of the show, Amanda and her partner. Mm-hmm. And also explains why we sound different this week. Yes, we are using a Zoom H4N Pro. We are recording in person, which we don't usually do. But we have a great episode, and we're going to start, as always, with a TLDR, shall we? Yeah, why don't you kick it off? Okay. See how much you can remember after not seeing it in six days. Right. I saw the episode when it aired on Thursday, as did you, but you rewatched it this morning, which is Tuesday morning, Super Tuesday, March 3rd. And so my memory is not quite as fresh as yours. I didn't take any notes. Yours are quite extensive, as you shared with me in Google Drive. So... Naturally, I'm the one best suited to do the TLDR. <laughs> Fantastic. <clears throat> All right, here we go. So, on the Borg artifact, Soji continues to question whether things are as they seem, thanks to all the seeds of doubt that Narek is planting. She's having dreams about her father, and she walks into a lab in her dream, and there are orchids, but she can't see her father or what he's working on, and when he yells at her, she wakes up. And Narek thinks this is a key to something. His sister wants to take her apart and wants to take Soji apart and figure out what's going on. And Narek says, no, I need more time. The key is the dream. They serve a functional purpose of resolving the discrepancies between her thinking her she's real and her thinking she's not. Let's pull that apart and use it as a weakness we can exploit. Uh, Soji also starts looking at all her old photos that she had. And she also starts scanning them to see how old they are. And the report for everything, the photos, the necklaces, her notebook, everything is 37 months old. Things she's had since she was a child are only 37 months old. And she's like, what is going on here? She also tries calling her mom after Narek points out that every call to her mother is exactly 70 seconds long. And she notices this time, consciously notices that she does start to fall asleep talking to her mom. Her mom who is encouraging her to go to sleep. So she even likes grabs a heavy blunt object and pounds her hand so that the pain will keep her awake. She's trying to fight this impulse, but she can't. She falls asleep, and that's what causes her to start scanning all the photos. So Narek says, you need to engage in this ancient Romulan meditation ritual, and he takes her to a room reserved for Romulans. Let's cut back to Picard for a second. They are approaching the board cube, and Raffi calls in an old favor from somebody at Starfleet to get them credentials to access the board cube. Picard only. He beams aboard and meets Hugh, who he hasn't seen in ages, and who welcomes him warmly and says, I will help you with whatever you want. Hugh shows him around the Borg Reclamation Project, and Picard says, this is amazing work you're doing, reversing assimilation. They go into Soji's quarters. She's not there. They see the photos. What's going on? And at that point, simultaneously, <coughs> Narek finds out 
some clues about the nest, the homeworld, from Soji exploring her dream in the meditation room. So he locks her in there and ignites a gas that will kill her, and that causes her to activate. She escapes from the room, meets up with Picard. They dash away into this hidden room that has transporter technology that can send them 40,000 light years away. Elnor beams aboard the Borg cube to protect them, and we see Hugh and Elnor fighting Romulans while Picard and Soji beam away to a distant planet of Nepenthe while Rafi and the captain start following them to meet up with them and rendezvous with them later. I know there's some stuff with Rafi I missed, but that's most of the TLDR. Pretty much? Probably too much detail. I felt like I was talking for a long time. Sorry about that. I mean, my notes for TLDRs are like a page long. Yeah. <laughs> this is the TLDR of the TLDR. Okay, cool. So we have a lot of scenes. We have a lot of characters. First of all, what did you think of this episode? Oh, this was fantastic. I had so much fun with this. Um, we finally see the union of the two stories. Starting to fi- we finally meet up. Yeah, yeah, we, that was great. We've seen Sochi since the first episode. She's didn't appear in the fifth episode last week, or the fourth episode, one of them. Uh, last week it was. Recently. Recently, yes. And finally we see these two threads tie together. And it was just so great. There were so many different character moments. There were action moments. There were reunions. There were divisions. You, they split the party. This is by far my favorite of the six episodes so far. It was a great one. Um, for me, one of the... Highlights with Hugh. Mm-hmm. What about what about Hugh? Um, well, one getting to see him back, but also seeing them him get back to Picard, with Picard. He hasn't seen Picard since the incident with Lore and the Rogue Borg. But also, uh, he was the first person that we've seen in this entire series who greets Picard warmly uh, and treats him as a friend with a kind voice. Um, that was great to see. Plus, Hugh already trusts Picard implicitly. There was no question. Yeah, we only saw Hugh in one previous episode of Picard, and from that episode, I couldn't tell if he was a good guy or not. I was naturally suspicious of anybody who's associated with the Romulans and anybody who's associated with the Borg. Put the two together, that's a whole lot of reason to doubt somebody. So I really didn't know what his intent was, his goal, his mission, if he was had some uh, ulterior motive. But he shows up and he gives Picard a big grin. He says, I can't believe you're here. He gives him a big hug and he says, I don't know why you're here, but I will help you however I can. And from the rest of the episode, you find out that he was sincere in saying that. Mm -hmm. And this was such a welcome relief. Just like Picard said, I'll welcome a friendly face. So would I, because Picard is, he pissed off Raffi. He pissed off Elnor. All these people who come to his cause begrudgingly. And Hugh, without any pretense or strings attached, just says, Tell me what you need. Uh, also great. Picard was having a lot of troubles coming back to the Borg Cube, coming to a Borg Cube. Flashbacks, PTSD, traumatic thoughts back to when he was turned into Lucutus. And Hugh helped ground him while he was here. He was like, you are no longer Borg. You are human. You are here. You are Picard. You are not Locutus. He was that ground, and that was very important for Jean-Luc to have. And I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, when Picard said the last time he was on a Borg Cube was not by choice, I had to think about that, because he was referring, of course, to the best of both worlds. But then I thought, what about I, Borg? No, he wasn't on a cube. What about Star Trek First Contact? No, the Borg Cube blew up. He encountered all the Borg on his own ship, the Enterprise. So it really was just that one time long ago. Very traumatic. And now that makes it all the more powerful that he's now revisiting that for the first time. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was the first time. 
I think going through the cube now also helped him in a lot of ways, besides just going, throwing yourself at the dogs, or at the wolves, so to speak. But he's seeing a former Borg turn back into what they were before, and he said, even told Hugh, this is, you're doing good work here. Doesn't need to be perfect. And you are showing these people who they are. They're people, not monsters. They're victims, not monsters. I wonder if this gives Picard regret over in Star Trek First Contact. He killed one of his own crewmen rather than let them be assimilated. And now I wonder if he realizes, I should have let him be assimilated. At least then he'd have a chance to be unassimilated and saved. Instead, he just killed him. Hard to know. I mean, even then, his viewpoint for all of them was, if you get a chance, if someone you see someone going, kill them. And you never know. I don't know if he has, has regrets, because back then, that was the truth. Right, mm-hmm. right. And he couldn't have known. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that's what he tells himself. Like, that was 20 years ago. All the technologies, Federation and Borg, have advanced a lot since then. Mm-hmm. And also, just the different ways that the identity of Locutus played into this episode was very powerful. Uh, there was a great scene early on. When before before Picard is even at the chat or at the queue, he's having flashbacks to the thought of going there. And something I didn't catch this, someone else pointed it out, is that he goes back to the chateau after having a Borg experience of his own, which is something he did right after the Best of Both Worlds. He went back to the chateau of Picard. I thought that was a fun little, a neat little parallel. So when, wait, when did that happen in this episode? After- um, at the very beginning. Yeah. He has a flashback. Um, I don't remember anything that triggered it other than knowing they're going. And the next scene is him escaping to the chateau on the holodeck Hmm. and thinking about the next action plan, which also had a great scene where he had a little search algorithm going on a screen. With here, they have the holographic projectors and the camera, our camera pans in such a way that we see an imprint of Locutus over our current day Picard, which is a wow of a scene. Which is something this show has done before when Soji was watching the hollow vid of that Romulan commander being mm-hmm. interviewed. It's just such a neat overlay and Picard himself saw it like he's reaching up to touch his face where his ocular implant was mm-hmm. almost to remind himself that's not me anymore. That was done to me but I'm better now. And that was it really emphasized the fact that this is PTSD. He is still 20 plus years later, still fighting this memory. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what I love about Hugh is he, he kind of, he quickly put the, all the pieces together. Uh, he made this comment towards the end of the episode, uh, when Picard is finally on the cube and Picard is like, the real reason I'm here is to see Soji. And at that point he was like, oh, okay. You came across the universe or galaxy to come here and to talk to me. And there's also this, as he put it, something about a dashing young Romulan spy who pretended not to be asking questions about her. Somehow these are all related. (laughs) So whatever you need, I will help you figure this out. Even when Picard said, I'm looking for a girl, and Hugh said, I assume she's in trouble. Mm -hmm. Picard's like, why would you say that? And he says, why would you come all this way (laughs) if she wasn't in trouble? Mm -hmm. That was was very clever. I like that he's (laughs) on top of things. Uh, One more thing about Hugh before we continue. He also, when he's showing Picard the former Borg, the XBs. Hugh mentions that he hopes Picard will be willing to advocate for free Borg. Because the Borg, even if they were former Borg, are still the most hated people in the galaxy. Right. So maybe that's going to be a hint of something that may come in the future. Although I would say that Picard does not have a lot of political sway nowadays. Yeah, we know that. Yeah. I mean, but he might still, but not with the Federation. 
Hugh also subtly pointed out that he is a Federation citizen, mm-hmm. which I thought was important because I th- thought, and I've aired this in previous episodes, that maybe this is solely a Romulan undercover mission that all these different species are being attracted to. But clearly Picard knows about it. And now we find out that there are almost like two different projects going on here. There's the Romulans who are harvesting the technology, but there's also this cross-cultural Borg reclamation project that all different people, Federation and non-Federation, are collaborating on. Mm-hmm. And Hugh said, as a Federation citizen, he can walk away any time. So it's not like he's part of the Romulan military or anything. Right, And but he made that comment, like, no, none of the other Borg can leave. Mm. Only him. I wonder if Hugh ever reclaimed any of the identity he had before he was assimilated. Yeah, if we have, we haven't seen it. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's very different from Seven of Nine, who, when she was cut off from the Collective, she still very much had a Borg personality. She didn't immediately revert to being Annika. Mm-hmm. So I think it's we've seen a couple of different ways that people react to being severed from the Collective. Um, we didn't see much of Girardi here. Um, she was very, she had a very few scenes, but the very, it opens up with her um, in the mess hall or some equivalent with Picard and Elnor. And the thing I noticed right away is she would not look at Picard when she was describing what had happened to Maddox. Um, I think we all know that Picard is smart enough to see something. Very likely knows something is up. Uh, it's not a guarantee, but I think... Just our establishment of character, Picard over all these years. I mean, he's had a command experience. He knows how people work. So I wonder if he suspects anything. Hmm. I, it's clear that a lot of her history that she shared with us is authentic. She was mm-hmm. a cyberneticist, etc. So it's not like she's entirely an undercover spy. She was clearly not trained to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think she's a proficient liar. And she also clearly suffers from a lot of conflicting emotions. Uh- Elnor can see through her. Uh, two moments during this episode. He, um, but the first one here is after the scene where she talks to Picard. Picard walks away, and Elnor, who's sitting there with them, makes a comment that my alarm's going off. I believe you have a calling coming, no. Captain. <laughs> makes a comment to Gerardi that Picard can't see or also haunted by something you'd like to forget. The obvious thing is what she just did with Maddox. Maybe there's more that we don't know yet either. Like what she was shown in the past. So she might be haunted by multiple ghosts. Right. And as we know, she has at least two things to atone for. When mm-hmm. she killed Matt, she said, this is just one more thing. Or no, it's when he said, your contribution was invaluable. And she said, that's something I have to atone for. Yeah. So, you know, she's clearly haunted by that as well. And she's not coping with this very well. She talked about how to Rios, who was uh, up late, possibly also unable to sleep. Uh, but she comes out and says she's feeling hollow, hopeless, lonely, and afraid. And then she's making rash decisions, like suddenly going to bed with Rios. Uh, this is a person who hurts a lot right now. And she's not able to focus on what she should be. She even said that she can sense mistakes as she's making them, and mm-hmm. she backs off. And then a moment later, she lets herself be pulled back in. Not be pulled in. She advances. Yeah, And that's one of the things I actually liked about that scene. Even though I agree she made a terrible decision, we rarely see like one-night stands in Star Trek that are initiated by the woman, in my opinion. I mean, Captain Kirk, Commander Riker, they were such ladies' men. And so I think it's powerful to see women taking control of their sexual experiences. 
And she just needed to forget. And he even asked her, like, is this going to help? She's like, for a few hours. Yeah. Uh-huh. And after that moment, after they get together, Elnor again strikes. Because Picard is talking about, how are we going to get on the cube? And he's like, and Picard's basically, we have to tell them the truth. What we're here to do. Because they can see right through me. They know, the Romulans know me. And if they don't, the Borg know Locutus. And so someone's going to give. And then that would make, cause a war and all this. And so he says, basically, basically, we have to use absolute candor. At that point, Rios and Agnes look at each other. And Elnor makes a comment about how uh, their awkwardness right now is making him very uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, absolute candor is it's definitely called for in this scene. I mean, Picard wasn't trying to be an eccentric Frenchman this mm-hmm. time. We oui, oui. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like... I am Admiral Picard. No. Yeah. And I used to be Borg and let's just, if not embrace it, at least acknowledge it. Uh-huh. And some of the Borg on the, or some of the XB recognized him as Locutus too. Yeah. There was a few moments where, well, he, every Borg that he walked by looked at him mm-hmm. and in that way, like, I recognize you. Maybe they don't remember how, maybe whatever, but they, I recognize you. I thought uh-huh. it odd that when he beamed aboard the cube, there was nobody there to greet him. And it wasn't until several minutes that somebody showed up. I thought about that, and I was thinking more like, maybe the Romulans didn't tell him, like, oh, you have a visitor, and they're going to be here in ten seconds. Go meet him at this room across the way. <laughs> maybe, yeah, that's true. I also thought, if I reclaimed a board cube, the first thing I would put up is safety rails. <laughs> because all those catwalks that you could just plummet for floors and floors, and Picard almost did, and two XBs actually grabbed him because they didn't want him to fall. I'm yeah. like... How about putting up some railings? Come on. <laughs> if it's not a... Sorry, there's a kid in a banana suit walking by the window as we talk. <laughs> Running. <laughs> this is true. I can... I, I, I just got distracted. <laughs> I am not going to enact mutiny against our captain because she's delusional because I see it too. <laughs> Welcome to Massachusetts. Um, I'm about to show that this might not be an area that's well visited or frequently visited. Uh, it might also be just be like... Hey, if you fall, well, <laughs> right. maybe you deserved it. Um, Who knows? Uh, since we were talking a little bit about Captain Rios, do we want to talk about her interaction with Rafi as well? Yeah. Uh, Rios definitely played the role of um, a caretaker or someone our people are going to for advice. And Agnes does it. Rafi does it. And I found that an interesting dichotomy. Like he's here as some kind of ground to other people. I mean, he is a guy who is broken as well, but other people come to him. For one reason or another. Uh, we will find out that Rafi and Rios have some kind of past, but not one where they share much about themselves. Right, because Rafi is the one who said to Picard, I have a captain for you, which means that she it was somebody in her personal Rolodex. Mm-hmm. And even here they extend on that. Rafi at one point admits that she's sobering up after one of her, after being, after a tough time on Free Cloud, said, did I even tell you I have a son? And basically she knows she didn't. And so whatever connection they had, uh, it feels like they had a strong connection, but not a personal connection. Yeah, definitely not a romantic one. No, no, no. Not like that. Or if they did, it was what Agnes just did. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I would say they may have worked together. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know Rios is former Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And so is Rafi. So they probably worked together at, on some assignment. Yeah. Maybe something traumatic. Um, that's Maybe the one feels. where Rios' former captain found their brain splattered yeah. across the bulkhead. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, but also Rafi, in her drunken stupor, is forced to basically burn a connection of hers. She contacts a someone in Starfleet to get diplomatic um, credentials for Picard to get on the cube in the first place. 
and she has to sit here and sweet talk her, this, this woman. Um, they clearly had some kind of past. Some online are thinking maybe romantic. And even watching the second time, I could see a possibility, but I didn't really get a strong sense of that. But also, relationships can be different when you get older, and connections can be just strong in multiple ways, I guess. I'm not sure how to word that, but it very well could have had a romantic thing, as some people are speculating. But whatever they had, Raffi had to burn this connection because what they needed. And this woman's like, no, I'm not going to give you these credentials. And Raffi's like, that's a bummer because we're going to get there in like two hours. And if we get there without credentials, we're going to start a war. Yeah, it basically put you in a position where if you don't comply with our request, we are going to make things far worse for you. Uh-huh. And it was very manipulative and very effective. Yeah. But this person said, I'm doing you this favor. Don't ever call me again. Uh-huh. Because clearly that trust has been broken and that person doesn't want to be put in that position again. So Rafi just had her son say, I don't want you in my life. I, I already didn't want you. I really don't want you. And then she's on a bender. She's called into action while she's still inebriated. And after this, realizing she's had to burn this connection, she's pushed down even further and yeah. just stumbles back to bed. Uh, I thought this was a great scene because Rios brings her back to bed. He doesn't say a single word. And this is where she talks about having a son and he had no idea. And she kind of passes out mid-conversation. But once she falls asleep, Rios had a great little line. He just says, no one gets all of it right, Raph. And I thought that was just felt very powerful in that moment. Like, sometimes we all need to hear that. We can try to be perfect. Yeah, something that we see a lot more of in later Star Treks, post-TNG, is flawed characters. Mm -hmm. And everybody on this show, as we've discussed before, is in some way broken. I mean, Soji said right in the very first episode, or I think it was Nerik who said, you know, you spend all day working with broken people. You don't want to spend time with one more. Mm Mm-hmm. And wow, I mean, that's what Picard is doing, is assembling broken people to be his crew. Uh-huh. And this is a crew that will, if things don't improve, they're going to fall apart on him. Yeah. Like, just like he's falling apart on himself. I wonder if they'll be able to stick together without him, because he has so far been the glue that brought them all together. But mm-hmm. now we see him and Soji going in one direction, Elnor and Hugh going in another direction, Rafi and Ross, no, Rafi and... Rios. Rios going another direction. So the party has truly been split now. We spent five episodes assembling the party, and now they've been gone three different ways. Uh-huh. While still bring up, Rios wakes her up with a, with, uh, wakes Raffi up with a coffee. And wakes her up saying, like, you owe me two latinum. And she's like, what? Turns out Soji's alive. <laughs> they had made a bet that yeah. she wouldn't be. But, um, at this point they start questioning. Like, the question should be asking, like, why would the Tashiar keep Soji alive? We know why they're looking for more information, but here they're like, wait a minute, if she's still alive, why is she still alive? Dodge is dead. They know what Soji looks like. What do and, the Telshiar need with a synth? Uh-huh. And we also find out the answer. They're trying to find the nest, as it's called. Yeah. It was previously called the nest. In this episode, it was called the homeworld, mm-hmm. which for me implies an organic origin, which I don't know if that's intentional or not. But Picard and his crew have not yet considered the possibility that there's more than just the two twins. Right. And Maddox didn't say anything about that before he died. Not, I was like speculated on the first episode there would be more because of their poker, his poker game with Data and his dream. Hmm. I mentioned, I can't remember the wording, but there was some allusion to more than two. We are clearly going to have more opportunities to see Picard and Soji 
discuss her discovery because she was activated this episode. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that Narek thought he could kill Soji without activating her. I mean, he had planted all these seeds to cause her to doubt whether or not she was real or not, just towing the line. And finally, just like Dodge in the first episode, she's put in a life or death situation, and he thought she was just going to keel over and asphyxiate? <laughs> yeah, uh, the recap, he activates a little uh, toy box that has uh, some kind of radiation gas or something, uh, kind of reminiscent of Nemesis. Mm. With the Thaleron or whatever it was, radiation. Yeah, and all of a sudden she activates. Like she doesn't realize. She's just like pounding her face, her fist through the ground, the woodwork. Through that, she starts ripping metal <laughs> plates out of the deck and then just jumps away. Mm-hmm. What was he thinking? <laughs> Can to do more than that? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess maybe the radiation thought that would just be good enough. I guess. But clearly she is starting to discover there's more to her. She can, as Hugh says, move way too fast for the sensors. She can hear the Romulans coming from a mile away, and she knows that the the spatial trajector has a range of 40,000 light years. How do you think that she knows that? Yeah, that was weird, because that means three possibilities. One, she somehow has access to the Voyager database, because the Sicarians were a race from the first or second season of Voyager. Season one, episode 10. Where they had a projector that could give Voyager good share of the way home, but they weren't allowed to use it for reasons. And if the Borg have this technology, that meant they found the Sakarians or some Sakarians who had this tech. Mm-hmm. And like, that could have things, but that means Soji, she, they named the Sakarians, she knows, oh, she makes this comment, like, he was describing it, and she's like, it's like, it's this thing that has a range of, and she just jumps in 40,000 light years. Mm-hmm. Like, how does she know that? So she either has access to the Federation database, or Voyager, has access to the Borg memories of them assimilating it, or both. I think the second is likelier because we've seen her demonstrate Borg knowledge before. In a previous episode, mm-hmm. she knew what the last ship was that was assimilated by that Borg cube. It was the Romulan ship. And even Narek said, how could you possibly know that? And that would not be in any Federation database. No, or um, very unlikely. Right. Yeah. So how is she acquiring this information? Did Bruce Maddox already have it? And did he implant them with it somehow? And how did he get it? I mean, these are things we are going to find out. Uh-huh. And at this point, I don't have any theories as to why they have that knowledge or what they're doing with it. Maddox said he wants them to discover the truth about the ban and why it would be important for Borg knowledge to be vital to uncovering the truth beyond the ban. I don't see the correlation. Yes, there. now all we know is Romulans, Borgs, and Synths are somehow all related. Right. And the Federation top brass. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of different variables that are somehow interplaying. And if there's some kind of conspiracy here, um, uh, they've somehow done an amazing magical job in covering it up. Conspiracies always unravel. Right. Yeah, but the Jat Vash, you know, this is a group that we've never heard of before now. And they are pulling all the strings here, or at least some of them. Wait a minute. Yes? You're just looking at the notes. I thought you you mispronounced something, but no, we had the Jatmash, but also the Jatmak. Yep. The Jatmash were some ancient thing, and then the Jatmak are some ancient things, and now maybe there's some connection there, too. We don't know the Romulan language or what these words mean. No, but the same, they both have the first, the same first word is what I'm getting at. Right. Uh, and what I'm saying is we don't know what that word means. You know, it could mean into or about or through. Super secret police. <laughs> 
I hope the super secret police are not intimately involved with a sacred Ramyun meditation. That would be very uncalming. Maybe some kind of based on some former old religion or mythos or new current news, as it were. Right. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that before until you said that. Sorry. So we've mentioned Elnor a couple times in this episode about how perceptive he is. But we also see him come to Picard's rescue on the board cube, mm-hmm. slashing which way and this way and that to sever Romulans from various limbs and heads. And then he decides to stay behind and cover Picard's escape. Mm-hmm. Do you think we've seen the last of Elnor? Not at all. Not in the least. You don't see him die? You don't... No. <laughs> There's no body. Exactly. You don't see him die, so they're not dead. Especially after we spent an entire episode recruiting him to the team. And then Stardust City Rag is the very next episode where he plays almost no role. And now he's gone again? And here he plays almost no role until the very end. Right. Except for the little comedy bits. And he can... We know he can sense some things about people. But right. no, this is too sudden. He's not dead. Especially with Hugh being a Starfleet Federation citizen. Federation, not Starfleet. For the Romulans to assassinate the director of the Borg Reclamation Project, who is a Starfleet citizen, and expect that not to come back as some sort of an interstellar uh-huh. incident, those two characters have to be alive. Yeah. And I think we're going to see Hugh get punished by... Uh, Nerissa, at least. Maybe both. Ooh. Because she had no time for anyone's BS already. Yeah, those handsy twins, I tell Uh, uh (laughs) you. I love that name. I love that Amanda came up with that on a previous episode of Transport Lock. Uh, We've talked a little bit about almost every character, but I'm sure there are bits that we've overlooked, and we still have a few more minutes on the podcast. What have we overlooked that you want to revisit? I I mean, revisit too much. I just thought I... Thought they did a good job with Picard's PTSD. I thought that was, and having someone to ground him. I really liked that connection. Moments like that are hard. And to have that, and then we saw him sinking further and further down, especially when he gets on that cube. He's on this walkway waiting to be met up. He starts, um, he's on this walkway for some reason, exploring as he's kind of like falling into this trance of his past life here. And he is held on to by two people. In his flashback, he's held on to, to Borg, and he thinks he's getting reassimilated again. He's screaming, no, no. And then Hugh grounds him and says, uh, he hears his voice, and he pulls him, snaps him out of it. And it's actually two former Borg trying to help him up, not trying to assimilate him. But that whole flashback, that whole scene, I thought was just really powerful and amazing. Did you happen to pause any of that flashback to see which Borg we were seeing? No. Neither did I, but I... Th- it looked more like first contact Borg as opposed to next generation Borg because they were more zombie-like. in the uh-huh, They were they much, were, much more scary. Yeah, much more terrifying. And I think that is more suitable for a flashback because like the very first episode, uh, I think it was Q who, Q, mm-hmm. Q who, where the Borg first showed up and they were not, I mean, they were grotesque, but not really scary. Not the same. It was, it was grotesque in, in, uh, in, then current day standards, but today yeah. it very much looks like a eighties TV show with a low budget. Exactly. Uh-huh. I'm not sure they knew back then that the Borg were going to be playing such a significant role in Star Trek lore as they are now. Yeah. Can you imagine like not knowing like how big they would become even ten years later? Now twenty years later. Yeah. Uh-huh, Thirty. And, and also imagine the people who did the episode I Borg. Like they had no idea 
the character we introduce in this one bottle episode uh-huh. is going to be vital to a whole new series 30 years from now. Yeah, like, wow. <laughs> and the same actor, too. Uh-huh. And that is just, it's it's remarkable, the foundation they laid without even knowing it. That's great that you brought him back. Uh, the, one, the man who played Maddox originally is still alive, but I think he's a teacher somewhere in California. People were emailing him, and he apparently had a canned response ready, like auto-response, and say, like, you can see it on CBS All Access or something like that. And I wish I could have reprised the role, but I, you know, just have time commitments. And then I think he's out of acting too. That's but, too bad. Yeah. Because I would have liked to see that character return as well. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting some detail about that. Not 100% correct, but just pretty much that's the general yeah. thing of it. And it's like, but it's still neat that people are reaching out to him. Yeah. Uh-huh. I recently got my hair cut. Very exciting times. <laughs> and I was speaking with my barber who. Every time I meet up with him, we're talking about the latest sci-fi movies, Marvel Cinematic Universe, etc. And I mentioned that I'm watching Star Trek Picard. And he, like, practically jumped out of his seat. He's like, so am I. I'm enjoying it so much. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I didn't know that you were a Star Trek person. He's like, I'm really not, but I just had to watch this. I was like, cool. And he said, yeah, sometimes I, ne- I need to Google stuff to remind myself to figure out who what's going on, who these people are. And I said, well... You know, it's been 30 years since you watched The Next Generation. You probably don't remember all these things all that clearly. And he said, no, I never watched The Next Generation. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait, wait. You you never saw TNG, which I can accept, but now you're watching Picard, which I can't accept? Like, <laughs> what would get you to watch this? He's like, because it's Star Trek, and I, I love sci-fi, and Picard is awesome. <laughs> but imagine, like, we've talked on this show about how Discovery is the show for people who want to get into Trek and have no background knowledge. And Picard is the show that is unabashedly for the f- historical fans. Mm-hmm. And here's a guy who's watching Picard, Googling what the heck is going on, and loving every minute of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, at one point, he asked me, so what's this 789 character? What's she about? <laughs> and it kind of reminded me of Rio. I was trying to remember what number oh, she yeah. was. <laughs> And I said, well, Seven of Nine is former Borg. And he said, what's the Borg? I was like, oh, we need to take a big step back. <laughs> and I love that he's watching this. I love that he's a fan of it. But it must be so challenging. He has no clue what's going on. Right. Well, no. I, I, I mean, mean, I mean no, very little clue based on – it's all context without without your yeah, past history. Right. I mean, he's doing the best part he can to decipher everything. And the show isn't necessarily helping him. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I applaud anybody who's willing to stick with it when the show is that challenging. So yeah. So yeah, go you. I, you're never going to listen to this, but you give great haircuts, and I admire your dedication to Star Trek. I have one more note. Uh, thing I want to talk about or mention. Uh, we find out Romulans have multiple names. Oh yeah, just like in Ursula K. Le Guin novels, there's a true name that they share with who? Others. Like, uh huh. Just their their lovers and their. Romulans have a further one yet where they, their personal name. Yeah. And here, Narek shares it with Soji right before, uh, very shortly before he's about to kill her. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because he and assumes that secret is going to die with her. Yeah. He was very confident that his meditation would reveal the information he needed mm-hmm. and that she would have no more value after that. I mean, basically it was this or she would die from Nerissa. Basically, Nerissa was like, you have no more time. This is your last chance. Uh-huh. So, one way, they thought they were going to kill yeah. Soji. And also, very interesting that Soji, in her dream, saw herself as a wooden doll, like Pinocchio. Uh-huh. Because Pinocchio is what Riker called Data in the very mm, first episode right. of TNG. That's right. Oh, yeah. I can't believe I forgot to mention this. One of the first scenes in the episode, Soji, on her nightstand, are doll parts, mannequin parts. 
like a little hint of what's to come later on when she, in her dreams. And I also noticed that Raffi has one as well. A mannequin hand? Uh-huh. How- or some kind of hand-type uh, sculpture. Huh. I don't know if it's actually a mannequin one, because it was at a weird angle. Yeah, but that was a very strange ho- choice in home decor. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Maybe it's just a cosmetic uh, motif. Maybe there's a correlation between Raffi and Soji, which seems unlikely. Or Raffi and Soji's father. Maybe there's something there. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Have we heard anything about Raffi's father before? No, no. Uh, Raffi, Raffi, comma, and Soji's father, not Raffi's father. Oh. Yeah. Soji's father being Maddox? Uh-huh. Okay. Assuming it's Maddox. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, Picard, at the end of the episode, yeah. when he meets Soji, he says, I was a friend of your father's, mm-hmm. and yeah. your sister came to yeah. me for help. Yeah. But Soji didn't recognize Picard like Dodge did. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why that would be. Well, uh, Dodge saw his picture in the window in the first episode. I don't know if she really knew much about him before that. But that triggered a memory. Uh-huh. And that is what that motivated her to go to the chateau. Uh-huh. But she also had more time to suss right. it out. Right. Here it was. Crap. Things are going down. Suddenly Soji lands in front of Picard and he's like, hi, I'm here to help. Right. <laughs> And she's very hesitant, but she has no better alternative. I don't think she trusts him yet, even though he implores oh. her to do so. Uh, she, sh- sh- uh, she doesn't have much reason to trust him yet. Right. Other than he claims to know father. Uh, suddenly there's this Romulan showing up, slicing off Romulan heads with a sword. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. At the end of the episode, they beam away to Nepenthe, which is a planet we've never heard of in Star mm-hmm. Trek. I, did you catch... On your second viewing, who chose that destination? Was it Hugh or Picard? Uh, I've already forgotten. I th- uh-huh. I saw Hugh manipulating the interface. Uh-huh. And so it may have been him, but we don't know where it is, how far away it is, if they'll be safe when they get there, why that place was chosen. I, yeah, I, I also question, the Borg have transwarp conduit technology, as we saw multiple times in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Now they have this spatial trajector, which can beam the queen 40,000 light years away. We assume that's how it is that she always survived, even at the end of first contact, and she shows up again later. How is that possible? Uh, and, oh, and she, no, 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 uh, I got that backwards. In first contact, Picard remembers her being in the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And how is that possible when that cube was destroyed? We assume maybe it was this, although Hugh also says the spatial trajectory is after Picard's time. Yeah. I also wonder why it's reserved just for the queen. I mean, I know that. There's supposedly a hierarchy, but I think it'd be very powerful if any Borg could beam anywhere, almost like an Iconian gateway, and yet they reserved it for the Queen. Maybe there's a because vast they, power usage. Maybe. She, she's, I mean, they all have the same knowledge. So, right. Maybe um, you only need to save one. Yeah. But yeah. I, it sounds like they reserved it as a defensive mechanism rather than mm-hmm. offensive. Offensive, yeah. And also, this means that Hugh, who is a Starfleet not Starfleet, I made that mistake again, who's a Federation citizen, knows about this technology. Will the Federation dissect it and use Uh it? Will the Romulans dissect it and use it? I know they've sealed that room again, so hopefully nobody will find it. But it's quite the... I don't know if that would be a MacGuffin or a Deus Ex Machina, where this technology pops up, they use it once, and then it gets sealed away and never used again. Yeah. Like a spore drive. I can imagine... Starfleet being very interested in this after Voyager gets back from the Delta Quadrant. I mean, in the books, so I won't get into it, but they go back to the Delta Quadrant. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. How do they, what propulsion do they use to get Trans-warp. back there? Okay. Or, yeah. Makes sense. Or basically the, the, the magic warp that they used 
in the timeless yeah. episode when they crash. I love timeless. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my two favorite episodes of Voyager. Time's up. No, no, oh, that's, uh, no, 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 that's a different one too. Um, Blink of an eye is my other favorite Voyager. That's episode. a great one. Yeah. Uh, we should probably wrap it up. There's one little Easter, little Easter egg in there I thought was great. Go for it. What is it? Um, while Soji is panicking, looking through all her old stuff, uh, her old pictures and whatever like that, she has a lunchbox. On the lunchbox is a picture. It's a lunchbox much like our own, like, pop culture, pop, pop culture lunchboxes with, like, kids' cartoons and shows like that. And she has the Adventures of Flotter. Ha! Flotter was, the Adventures of Flotter was a holodeck program that Naomi Wildman showed Neelix in Voyager. Mm-hmm. So that was a fun little nod. So yeah, see, it is real. It is it does exist in this universe. Yeah, that's great. The, whoever put together her fictional history was very thorough and very detailed. Mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting that it was so obviously revealed. Once you think to scan these things, oh, they weren't fake aged, which I assume is something that Federation technology can do. I really thought she was going to turn that scanner on herself. Yeah, I thought so too. She didn't. No, she scanned the necklace, which came close. But maybe it's—I don't know. Yeah. Magic. Maybe magic Romulan tricorder can only do uh, <laughs> objects and not uh, people who think they're not objects. That's true. There's a very big difference between cellular organisms mm-hmm. and you know static objects. So, wow. So that has been our episode of Transporter Lock for Star Trek's for Picard season one, episode six, The Impossible Box. The next episode is Nepenthe. Which I don't think is much of a spoiler, because that's exactly where mm-hmm. Picard and Soji went. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see that. We are 60% done the season. Yeah. And things are really heating mm-hmm. up. I mean, we talked about things being slow at the beginning. They're making up for it now. And it's all relative slow, too. Relative to this, it's slow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you can't connect the dots looking forward, only looking backward. Uh-huh. And everything that they've done so far has been so deliberate and makes sense. The pacing, I would say, is uneven, but... I don't know that that's necessarily a criticism because I think if the whole season was this pace, we'd be exhausted. So, yeah, yeah. so this is working out pretty well. Uh, I confess I've been lukewarm about this show. I mean, I, I like it, of course. It's Star Trek. But I felt like based on how everybody else was responding to it, I wasn't liking it as much as I should, uh-huh. which the people on the podcast can see I'm doing air quotes. I should like it. <laughs> now I like it. Now I really like it. Good. Yeah, Good. me too. Uh, so, in that case, that is it for this week's Transporter Lock. We'll be back to our usual audio setup for next week, which means we'll be watching Star Trek separately. Yeah, in two days. Yeah, this is only the f- second time in our entire existences, say real, that we've ever sat down in the same physical space and watched Star Trek together. This, uh, outside of the movies, this is the second time I've watched a Star Trek episode with someone since, like, Deep Space Nine, maybe? Voyager. Oh, God. Uh-huh. That's right, because that's one of the reasons we launched Transporter Lock, is because... In our own separate lives, in formerly Massachusetts for me and currently Fargo for you, we don't have anybody in person to share these experiences with. Mm-hmm. So that being the case, we can at least get on the podcast and share it with each other after the fact. Uh-huh. I was really happy that we were able to share the in-person experience with each other and with Amanda, former guest of the yes. show. So Thank you, Amanda. Yay. <laughs> Until next time. Hit it or engage. However. You're never going to figure that out right now. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. 